0: I wanted to ask you this question as we kick off, when you were younger, possibly, maybe if you're a little weird, maybe not when you were younger, but uh, you don't have to own up to that right now, is did you try to catch ever a wild animal? Ever try to catch a wild animal? It's like, it's like a rite of passage, certainly for guys, uh, I'm, I'm not sure for ladies, like catch a bird, catch a guinea fowl, who's ever told their kids to catch a guinea fowl? Oh, you are missing out. You've got to tell your kids to catch a guinea fowl. It's impossible, and it's hours of entertainment as they chase guinea fowl wherever you can find them. Catch a bunny. Anyone ever try to catch a bunny? So uh, we had this experience the other day. We were on holiday, and we were up in the Natal Midlands, and uh, where we were able to get a bit of a break is this magnificent estate, I suppose, for lack of better words. Uh, And literally, my boys... Uh, they get up, we don't even hear them, and they disappear, and they come back when they're hungry, uh, but they're just on this estate roaming, and one lunchtime, my 10-year-old, one of my 10-year-olds uh, came and very proudly announced, he says, Dad, but tonight, I'm going to have caught a bunny. Like, that is absolutely brilliant. Every young man should catch a wild animal. I said, tell me, boy, how are you going to do it? He says, no, I've already had a start on it. I've already dug a hole. Like, oh, brilliant. And what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to cover that hole with leaves, and then I'm going to just hang a carrot above the hole, and the bunny's going to come, and it's going to eat the carrot, and it's going to fall into the hole. Brilliant idea, my boy. Tell me, how big is the hole? He goes, it's about this big. Now, obviously, you're thinking what I'm thinking, which I didn't need to say to him, is one, carrots don't just hang in the middle of the air, and so that the bunny was probably going to think something's up with a carrot just dangling in midair. And two, bunnies are known for their... Prowess at jumping, and so a hole that size is not necessarily going to hold the bunny. I didn't need to tell him that he was going to experience that we were not going to be having bunny chow that night but uh and and or any night there thereafter and uh, that was his experience, but it got me thinking because you know times of uh, holiday and just refreshing and uh and rest allow us to recalibrate a little bit and just to think and so I was like, actually god what well I think I didn't, I didn't reflect on that story. I think God used that story to uh, allow me to reflect and just saying, hey, Rich, you know that I've kind of given the purpose, I've given purpose to people who follow me. And my purpose is that they would make disciples, the, the Bible says, of all the nations, teaching people to love me and that they would obey my commands, I'd be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said, yeah, I, I, I get that. And he goes, yeah, but... It, it feels like the church, with all sincerity, like Sam, our 10-year-old boy, is trying to be fishes of men, or trying to catch wild animals, if I can call that, uh, if you can forgive my analogy, for people that do not know Jesus Christ, whose spirits have not come under the hand of Jesus and led by the Spirit of God today, that our attempts are, although sincere, are grossly inadequate as we've dug holes that are this deep and we've hung carrots and we've said, hey, people that don't know Jesus, come and just eat of this carrot that's dangling in the air and you're going to fall into this hole and we're going to catch you. And I felt like God just called me out on that and just said, hey, Rich, what did you, like last year, it was a particularly difficult year for for Jackson and me. And uh, some of you know the whole story and we're not going there. But I think as we lose emotional energy, What we start to focus on is is the easier things, because that's what we've got capacity for. And so, for me, the easier thing was, well, let me just focus on the organization of the church, not the people of the church. And maybe for you, as you start to get towards the end of a year, or I I don't know if some of you have been able to have leave or not have leave, or, or where you are. But when we get tired, what we well, I'll just put my head down and do my job, but I don't have time for people, as though people are interruptions to our day when Jesus says they're the very purpose of our day. And so, I couldn't think of a better message, and I think it would be on Jesus' heart to actually recalibrate us at the beginning of 2020 for those of us that know Jesus, to say, if you want to be a follower of Christ, it involves following Him into His mission, which is to have a specific purpose Of leading people to life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. I've come that you may have life and have life to the full. And therefore, that has to be the very thing that burns in our hearts as we have come to find life, that we would help others find life. And so, what I want to do tonight is just help recalibrate us a little bit. I'm gonna, we're going to look at the Scriptures. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say. We're going to look at what uh, a guy called Paul, who had, had an encounter with Jesus, what he had to say. And we're going to allow it to refresh us. Maybe for some of us, we're going to hear it for the first time. Maybe for some of us like me, we're going to hear it for the hundredth time. I'm telling you, it was still relevant to me. So I'm teaching me as much as I'm teaching you as we look at the Scriptures this evening. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19-23. And so I've entitled this message, Engage. And so that's if you can just kind of have that in the back of your mind, engage. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Let's just pause there for a moment. Uh, who's heard that language today of, uh, hey, listen, you, I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't, I don't owe you anything. I, c- I can do what I want to. Don't judge me. I can, you don't own me, I can be what I want. We kind of heard that language. There is a truth to that language. We are free in Christ. But when we come into the freedom of Christ, he puts us to purpose and he puts us on mission. And what sometimes we forget is the words of Paul, which says, Although I am free, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all of this. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. A couple of things that come out of this passage as our anchor text for tonight that I can just again help us, reshape us, recalibrate us, remind us. The first thing that we see out of this is Paul says right at the end, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. There was no mystery to his motivation. What motivated Paul was not a mystery. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I want to share in the blessings of the gospel. I want to share in the blessings of the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to share in those things which are my inheritance. I want to share in those things. There's no mystery to my motivation. The second thing we see is this. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. There are strings attached to Paul's actions. What many of us like to do is, well, I'll become all things to all people. Full stop. And we stop short of, so that I may win some to Christ. We stop short of, there are strings attached to the message that I carry, to my relationship, my intentional relationship with each of you and with my friends outside of this auditorium. And the third thing we see, again, still coming from I've become all things to all people, I've become all things to all people, is Paul builds bridges instead of walls. The church is very good at building religious walls. You've got to look a certain way. You've got to dress a certain way. We've got to worship a certain way. We've got to do a certain thing. And when people don't fit into that context or mold, suddenly it feels like, well, well, there's a wall for me to engage with you. How do we overcome this wall? Where both Jesus and Paul modeled building bridges relationally. And so we're just going to briefly look at those things just again to help us. So the first thing we see here is there's no mystery to the motivation. No mystery to the motivation. Who knows the title That was given to Jesus, well, one of the titles that was given to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to guess because there were many. He was called a friend of sinners. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Those of us that kind of know the scriptures, we know that to be true. And uh, this is what happened. So, the Pharisees who are the religious leaders, so like the guys like me leading a church, we would, uh, Jesus would come along and he, he didn't quite fit the mold of the church in that day. He was hanging out with kind of people that you wouldn't normally associate with righteousness, with being in right standing with God. He was doing things a little differently. Things that were supposed to be on the rest day and held quite dearly, Jesus seemed to be flying in the face of those things. And so these guys called the Pharisees, I can picture them kind of going, hey, listen, let's put an investigator onto Jesus. Let's just check out his life. And the investigator would would kind of walk around following Jesus, and, and there would be Jesus having dinner with a tax collector. A tax collector was a Jewish person that had sold out to the Roman occupiers of the day, regarded by Jews as absolute scum. So there's Jesus having dinner with them. So the investigator, would, oh, he's hanging out with tax collectors, hanging out with scum. It was accused, Jesus was accused of having a meal, going out, and he was eating and drinking with friends, and he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because of the people he was hanging out with. Oh, he's hanging out with alcoholics. He's hanging out with those that drink a little bit much, who eat a little bit much, make a note of that. He spent some time with a prostitute. Not with a prostitute, (laughs) but (laughs) with someone who had that as their profession. Oh, he's hanging out with really hanging out with the dregs of society. The investigator comes back to the Pharisees and says, I have investigated Jesus and I have come to the conclusion that he is a friend of sinners. Then I wonder, I wonder if an investigator was sent to follow my life. Make it personal, sent to follow your life. What would they write down? Oh, they went to church on Sunday night. They were involved in a small group, a life group on a Tuesday night. They went and prayed on Wednesday morning. They had lunch with a believing friend on Thursday. They rested just with their family on Saturday. Oh, I I submit this report. I have come to the conclusion that Richard is a friend of Christian's. Don't get me wrong, being a friend to Christians is not a bad thing. But is there also room to be a friend of sinners as we follow Jesus? Because Jesus was regarded as a friend of sinners. This is what we want to remind ourselves of and inspire ourselves. There were were two, I I can think of as I read the scriptures, two kind of primary groups of people that were attracted to Jesus. There were the youth, there were children and And uh, the youth that were attracted to Jesus and those called sinners. Basically, just sin. sin sinners in its broadest definition and its most accurate definition just means missing the mark. So, it misses the mark of righteousness. So, anyone that misses the mark of righteousness is a sinner. So, I'm not labeling you. I'm just, if you miss the mark of righteousness, which we all do, we all fall short of the glory of God uh, outside of Jesus Christ. But uh, the youth and sinners were those that were attracted to Jesus. The people that hated Jesus were the religious leaders, the religious people, the types who defined what religion looked like. 2,000 years on, and we read statistics of the Western church, who are the people that love the church? Those that make the rules of the church, those that fit into the structure of that. Who are the people that are rebelling or or, are repelled by the church? Young people and sinners. Sinners. So in 2,000 years, something's being lost. The people that were attracted to Jesus are no longer being attracted to the church, which is his bride. I do want to say this. Maybe you are here for the first time and you don't know Anthem. I want to say that Anthem, I don't think, fits into the statistics of the Western church. But lest we become arrogant and boast, let us say we do fall into the category of Western church. And although we may be a little bit further along on the spectrum, it will still be our Achilles heel that we have to watch out for. My birthday is on Christmas Day and I got given the biggest jar of biltong I have ever seen in my life. It was like this big, this fat. I also have seven children and so I had to be very strategic when I went to open my biltong, because as big, as, as, as big a jar of biltong as I had, when you open it with seven kids, it doesn't last very long. And so I would lead the charge, take all my kids, let's go play in the swimming pool. And we'd play there, and then I'd be like, I'm just going to go get a drink of water. Go get my biltong. And it was like there's a sixth sense with my seven-year-old, who's my youngest. And as I'm like hiding out and opening my biltong, I just have, he's about this high, and I just have this hand come through my leg. Oh, Daddy, I love you. (laughs) And it would just be absolute coincidence that at the time I opened my biltong jar, he was overcome with this affection towards me. There was no mystery to his motivation. No mystery to his motivation. But here's the lesson that I learned from my, my little son, I said no to him a lot. But I also said yes to him a few times. So he got a whole lot more yeses than he would have got if he had never done that at all. Paul, there was no mystery to his motivation. I become all things to all men in order that I may win some and it is for the gospel and sharing and its blessings. I wonder if we fall into that same category. Would we come into people and would there be a mystery to our motivation or would it be clear actually my friend I have come into the life of God and my desire is that you would come into the life of God too we may have no said to us on a whole lot of occasions but we may also just have yes said to us on some occasions and you'll have a whole lot more yeses than if you never try at all Second thing we see is that there were strings attached. There's a thing kind of going around the world today of, acts of random acts of kindness anonymously. Like, let's be kind and let no one know about it. And yes, there is a scriptural teaching which says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. And, and we get all of that. But I don't think Paul and Jesus acted that way when it came to the gospel. You see, I've, I've got friends that don't know Jesus We are, at this point in time, we are spending, our eternal realities are very different. I'm going to be spending an eternity with my Father in heaven, and they are not. They're going to be separated from Him. But they are also very kind people. And to an outside observer, they can see their kindness and see my kindness, and they can put us into the same category. There's a difference. There are strings attached to my kindness. My kindness is to you is because I love you and I want you to become a brother or sister in Christ. To have a life that has an eternal difference to where it presently stands. See, too many of us want to be these super sleuths. We want to be just kind and let no one know. And there was a saying about a decade ago, uh, for a decade before that, that would say "Would say this, is uh, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and only if you absolutely have to, use use words. Some of you remember that saying? And the, the essence of that was just be kind. But you don't have to speak anything. Now, I know that that was in reaction to the church's Bible bashing. And I, and I get that. Everything, sometimes the pendulum has to swing. But may I say that we don't live in that world today. In actual fact, I think the church has largely lost her voice. And so let's not live in this world where it's random acts of kindness, where there's no strings attached. We have the Domino Foundation, which is kind of our outreach arm for the poor. And I constantly remind this team, and I say, why just feed people so that their tummies may be full, but their eternal destinies never change? Why rock up to work? That must be the most pointless work. We counsel those, and we we help those that have been caught in human trafficking. Why counsel them just so that they may have temporary comfort or temporary hope, but no eternal hope? There has to be strings attached to our kindness. It's what Paul said, I, I'm being kind to you, I'm, I'm becoming all things to you in order that you may come into the world that I've come to know. The very nature of Jesus, He left His throne in heaven and was born in a barn. He left the, if you, you can use the language of Scripture, the gold streets of heaven in, in order to walk on the dirty roads of a Roman occupied land. But there were no strings, uh, there, there, uh, it, it wasn't without Strings. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness and His forbearance and His patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? There are strings attached. By way of example, Jackie, when she was a little younger, went to a house party with some friends, and uh, it came time that her dad wanted her to exit the world she was in and come to the world that he was in, which was sleep. So he arrived in his pajamas. But this is what he did. He arrived at the front door, he walked himself in, got onto the dance floor where Jackie was dancing and started dancing with his daughter in his pajamas. Jack said, ah, you come to join the party? He goes, no, I've come to fetch you. But I'm coming into your world, onto your dance floor and I'm going to pull you into my world. As Christians, what we often do is do what many parents do, is we sit outside on the hooter. Come outside. Come outside. It's time to come. We hang the carrot. Mid-air. Time to come. We dig a 10-centimeter hole, hoping to catch you. It's like, no, Jesus left everything and came into that world. Uh, he Jax's dad came in his pajamas he was clothed differently we are clothed those of us that know Jesus that are followers of Christ we are clothed with righteousness we can enter into the worlds of people that do not know Jesus without participating in what they are participating in we are clothed differently but i'm coming onto your dance floor in order to lead you to my dance floor i'm not standing outside hooting hoping you're going to make the jump there are strings attached Thirdly, we talk about, well, the, the model was Jesus and Paul built bridges and not walls and just the power of authentic friendship. And as I talk about this, I, I just want to start. There's, uh, in Luke chapter 15, there's uh, this moment where Jesus responds to something that the Pharisees are saying, the religious leaders are saying, and he talks about uh, three lost things There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. And Jesus talks about it. And so often what we do as teachers, we just dive straight into Luke 15, but we forget about the context. And the context is so important because what's happened just before that is the Pharisees have accused Jesus. You you are a friend of sinners. You eat with sinners. We're muttering amongst ourselves. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me tell you what I'm doing here. And he starts to speak about the one. And so the one sheep that is lost out of the hundred, so there's 99 left and one lost, and the one coin that a widow loses, and the lost son is two brothers, and one stays at home and one lost, and when the one comes home, the dad throws a big party. And Jesus speaks to, excuse me, speaks to the importance of those that are lost. And by the scriptural language of lost, it's those that have not come into the freedom of Jesus Christ, have not come into the knowledge of Jesus, have not come into putting their trust in Him. What well, we see in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus talks about Himself and He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. To seek and to save what was lost. Again, if, to remind us, if an investigator were to follow our lives, were to follow our stories, would they come to the conclusion That we are desperately searching over those that are lost, that are lost to Jesus, that do not know Jesus, that have not put their trust in Him, whose eternal destinies are not going in the direction that their Creator would choose for them to have. And as I was thinking about this, I just started to think about, well, what what do we, like, how, how do we search for things that are lost? So for me, which I would imagine is the same for you, is the value of the thing that is lost determines how hard I look for it. So if I lose a 2 rand coin somewhere at home, I may have a cursory glance for it, but it's okay. If I lose my car keys, I will turn my house upside down because I'm not gonna walk out, particularly in summer, every day, look at my car, and then walk to work because I don't have my car keys. I will tu- I will look for them because there is value on the car keys. I think what we have done as humanity is we have lost the value of human life. We've lost the value. We we look through our own perspective, which is very self-absorbed, not through the heavenly perspective, which says, I have created you in my image, you are mine. And so one of the ways that I feel it's been helpful for me, which may be helpful for you, is, is I've when I read the stories, I, I change the words, just to help me. So I'm not trying to change scripture here, but it will help us have a grasp of the, the depth of love that Jesus has. Is I just change the word lost for stolen. Because when somebody violates my space, when somebody steals something from me, there's a righteous anger that builds up in me. And so you may just steal five rand from me, but I will come after you. And I will look for that five rand for a whole lot longer than if I lost five rand at home. Because there's something of a, an effect that it's had on me. There's a justice issue. I think of my kids. When one of my kids comes to me and says, oh, dad, I've lost this. My, my normal response would be, oh, don't worry. I'm sure you'll find it. Whereas if one of my kids comes to me and says, hey, dad, this sibling stole it from me, I'm more likely to get up and intervene. And I think the church has become, because we've lost the value of human life, we we kind of like have these people that are lost to Christ. They don't know Jesus. And we're like, "Uh, it's okay. I'm I'm sure you'll find it. Whereas if it was stolen, we may intervene more. And I, I want to present this to you because I do believe that our lives were stolen from Jesus by the enemy. I believe when Satan in the garden deceived Adam and Eve, he stole the life that was theirs. And we have all lived in the consequence of that. And so we are not rebellious by choice against God. We are rebellious by nature against God. And therefore, we've been stolen from Him. And I believe that Jesus says, hey, 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 I'm going to intervene in this. I created you in order that you may walk with me, in order that we may have fellowship, in order that this earth may be righteous. And the enemy came and stole all of that, and therefore, I'm going to get involved. Now I've gone back to be with the Father. Will you people, will you who follow me, will you Richard, pick up the mantle and carry on intervening in those peoples whose lives have been stolen from me by the work of the enemy? Would you put more value on that? Would your righteous anger uh, rise up inside of you so that you will fight for other people to come into the life that God has for them? Would that be the story that is ours into the new year? You see, we've been trained, Tony Robbins and all these kind of uh, positive thinking guys. If I were to put a glass in front of us here that's 99% full, and I were to ask you, is that glass 99% full or 1% empty? The vast majority of us would say it's 99% full. Look on the bright side. Jesus would say it's 1% empty because the, Jesus has said I, there will be none. I have come that there would be none that would be lost that the Father has given to me. None. Can we carry the attitude of Jesus? He, Jesus went after the one. There were, we read these parables there. There is good reason for people to say, well, Why would you put the 99 at risk for the one? Why leave them in the open plains? Aren't aren't you scared, Richard, that if you spend all of your time and energy going after the lost, if you you turn, if you make uh, churches budget and you spend and you change the lighting and you do all of this stuff to to kind of make it more accessible for people that don't know Jesus, why don't you look after those that do know Jesus? It's like, yeah, that's a good, it's good. Yeah, Am, am I scared that 99 people might leave? Yes, but the scriptures say there is more rejoicing in heaven when one repents, one sinner repents and comes to, to the Father than the 99 who don't need to repent. See, those of us that have come to know Jesus, you may be with Anthem, your job may take you somewhere else, you may go to another church, you may be here this year, not here next year, you may, I want you, I'm not chasing you away but you are not lost to the kingdom of God. And so whether this is your family or there's another family down the road or there's another family in another city or there's another church family, or you're going to be okay. But there are a great multitude who are not. And if we just spend all of our time making sure that we take care of each other, we've missed something of the blessing of the gospel, the blessings that are available to us, the one that Jesus talks about the friend of sinners how did Jesus and Paul do this the scriptures have looked for people have looked through the scriptures for many many centuries to come up with the this is the way we reach people they've never been able to do it people have tried if you've been around church for a long time 20 years ago was 3e evangelism and uh, then it was Rolf Neighbors, and then it was, there have been multiple, multiple methods. When we see Jesus, He was able to interact with the uber rich and the super poor. He was able to interact with the religious leaders and those that seemed to be rebellious against all righteousness. He was able to do all of that. And there was one thing common to His methodology. The person in front of Him. He loved them and became their friend. And as He loved them, so the person will grow to love him back and follow him. So we're not looking for methods. We're not looking for new programs. We're not looking for it. We're just looking for Jesus Christ. Will you, by your Spirit, give us a love for people that do not know you? Would a righteous anger rise up, a righteous judge, a justice rise up within us for those whose lives have been stolen from you by the? by the work of the enemy, by the evil one, in order that we may put their hands back into your hands, Jesus, that their lives may come into the fullness of what you have for them. And that takes us focusing on the person in front of us, loving them, becoming friends, and allowing our lives to be so compelling that they would choose to follow us as we follow Christ. As Paul would say, follow me as I follow him. So I think there are two questions that we need to ask ourselves as those that follow Jesus. Two questions we need to ask. The first one is this. Are we truly friends of sinners? And by sinners, again, I'm not wanting to put in a derogatory term. I'm talking about those that have been lost to Jesus by the work of Satan. Just those who have not been put into right standing with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Are we truly friends of sinners? And then the second question, which follows on from the first, is are our non-believing friends being compelled to become Christ followers through their relationship with us? Can we stand together? Now, so often what happens is a, a word would be taught like this and you'd be left to ponder these questions and then leave and some of us may put these things into play and some of us may not, but... I'm going to try and give us an opportunity now to just take one step forward. And so I'm going to give you 20 seconds to think of those people in your world that do not know Jesus and just bring them to mind. For some of us, this may be hard. In the morning, there were a whole bunch of people that could not think of anybody that's in their world as they had become so isolated to being a friend of Christians. If that's you, that's okay. You can be honest about it because that's the first step in being able to identify, I need intentionally work on some new social circles but 20 seconds just think of some people's names that do not know jesus that you are that you know now i'm going to ask you to make yourself accountable and let's take a courageous step together turn to someone next to you and just say this week i want to make contact with this person one person i'm going to make contact with that person One of the things we do as a family of faith is we encourage one another and we exhort one another and we help each other take a step forward. And so I do this not to put us on the spot, but we can just help each other. Like say, hey, listen, there were a whole bunch of us in the auditorium over three services today that are going to be doing this this week. I can do this. I'm not the only one doing this. I am going to make contact. I'm going to intentionally pursue that relationship. And there's going to be no mystery to my motivation. There are strings attached, but not in a weird way. I just want to love you because I carry, in a sense, the offense that Jesus carries, that people have been lost to him when he's come that we may have life.